Wow, 9.58 and everybody's quiet and ready. That's a change. All right, well, I'm happy to be here this morning. How about you? Amen. Amen. Um, Psalms, I guess we're still waiting on Soretta. That's all right, start reading. We're okay, all right. Um, Psalms chapter 18, verse 3 says, I will call upon the Lord who is worthy to be praised. So shall I be saved from mine enemies. Uh, David faced a lot of enemies that he talks a lot about in the book of Psalms. And when he was in the middle of that, what would he do? Call upon the Lord. Amen. Let's all stand up and sing together. the Lord together. Amen. Let's sing, knowing you, all I once held dear and built my life upon, all this world reveres and wars to own. All I once thought gain, I have counted loss, spent and worthless now compared to this. 
Salvation, glory 
testimony this morning. I know that everyone was praying for me, so thank you. 
Amen. Does anyone else have a prayer request or anything on your heart? We pray for um, an older lady, uh, Darlene, who we were able to talk to this week, but um, the doctor gave her uh, not very much time to live. Um, And just pray that she could come to know Jesus before, um, before she dies. Dear Heavenly Father, I just lift up Darlene to you this morning. God, you created her. You love her so much. And, oh God, I pray that she would cry out to you during this time of loneliness, of fear. Um, While her mind is still sharp, I pray, God, that she would see how much she needs you. And God, I pray that you would save her, that you would save her soul so that she can be with you for all eternity. Oh God, I pray that the devil would not be able to blind her eyes and to make her feel like um, all the things that she has done are not good enough to stand in your presence. But Father, that it would drive her to the cross. And Father, that she would see Jesus and she would ask for forgiveness and Father, that she would be saved. I pray for Phil and Katie and mom and dad as they live next to her and as um, you give them opportunity to speak with her. God, I pray that you would give them the words to speak and that they would have the great privilege and honor of bringing her to you, Jesus. I thank you for her. Thank you for bringing her into our lives. I pray that you would help us to love her as you love her. And I pray you would be with her today. In Jesus' name, amen. That my wife's sister Liddy is here, and her husband John, John Petersheim. And uh, you know it's not an easy thing when you're always to come out and go to a strange church like this, but so thankful that they're here. It's just been a blessing to be with them and and over the years, we've had some really, really good times in Florida playing uh, rope together a lot. And, and just to have them here this morning, and what a joy. And I'm sure my wife is excited, too. I, I hope Lydia and Tommy are as excited as we are. <laughs> <laughs>
And let's stand up together, those who are able, and then sing together.
song you have no excuse to look around you this week and be sad at what God is doing or who God is we see creation all around us I know I mean I get to work in the mountains I get to see it all the time and I often look at a cliff or this amazing mountain and I just go wow how did that show up there it would take man years and years to destroy it to haul it away and like that it was there Oh 
Children, come forward. <clears throat> okay. Man, we, we need the Chilton's back, don't we? You don't remember who they are. Huh? Lexi's sick. Oh. Well, on what day? Well, you just turned seven. <laughs> Who sat on a fob? Who is it? Mom, yeah, the two who are not worried about it. Well, the whole neighborhood now knows we're having church. Because the horn's going off, letting them all know. Don't you hear the horn? Yeah, letting the whole, letting the whole neighborhood know. Huh? Well, now they know. They heard it. And it made them look over here. All right, you got a song? Cast your burdens. That chord is never long enough, is it? All right, are you ready? Cast your burdens onto Jesus, for he cares for you. Cast your burdens onto Jesus. For he cares for you. Higher, higher, lift up Jesus. Higher, 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 
Lower, 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 Satan, lower, lower. 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 Cast your burdens onto Jesus, for he cares for you. Cast your burdens onto Jesus, for he cares for you. Higher, higher, lift up Jesus, higher, higher. 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 Lower, 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 Satan, lower, lower. 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 Higher, higher, lift up Jesus, higher, higher. 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 We need to get Sherry a sugar cookie. See, if we fed you a sugar cookie, you'd be like, higher, higher, higher. <laughs> All right. Um, jumping on the Lord's side. I don't know why I ever came up with that one. Ain't there another song you want to sing? Something we haven't sang? Which one? Well, that's the same song. Huh? Crazy monkey one. You mean, I, uh, I'm no kin to the monkey? Hmm, I have to pull the words on that one again. I'm no kin to the monkey. What's it? Kin to the monkey. The monkey's no kin to me. I don't know much about his ancestors, but mine didn't swing from a tree. It seems so unbelievable. It's true. They're teaching our children in schools now that humans were monkeys once too. I'm no kin to the monkey. The monkey's no kin to me. I don't know much about his ancestors, but mine didn't swing from a tree. That's about all I remember. He didn't swing? Okay. Um, what's another one we don't sing very often? Um, I, I got to prepare for this a little bit more and think about some of these songs. God's Not Dead? Okay. I always love that song. I grew up singing that song. God's not dead, no. He is alive, God's not dead, no, He is alive, God's not dead, no, He is alive, I feel Him in my hands, feel Him in my feet, feel Him in my heart, thump, thump. feel Him in my soul, Woo! feel Him all over me, God's not dead, no. 
he is alive, God's not dead, no, he is alive, God's not dead, no, he is alive, I feel him in my hand, feel him in my feet, feel him in my heart, thump, thump. feel him in my soul, Woo! feel him all over me. That's the one I was thinking of. You got that one? I've got the joy, 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 joy down in my heart. Down in my heart. Down in my heart. I've got the joy, 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 joy down in my heart. Down in my heart to stay. And I'm so happy so very happy I've got the love of Jesus in my heart and I'm so happy so very happy I've got the love of Jesus in my heart I've got the wonderful love of my blessed Redeemer way down in the depths of my heart down in the depths of my heart down in the depths of my heart I've got the wonderful Where? Down in the depths of my heart to stay. And I'm so happy, so very happy. I've got the love of Jesus in my heart. And I'm so happy, so very happy. I've got the love of Jesus in my heart. So you guys ready for some special guests up here today? Yeah, I had an idea. There's been a couple that have not been up here in a long, long time. You think about it? So there's two, there's two boys that have not been up here in a long time. And I think it's high time they come back up and revisit their second childhood. There's Brandon and Michael sitting in the back, playing on computers or whatever they do back there. So I think they both need to come up here and sing Wrapped Up, Tied Up. What do you think? Yes. All right. Brandon and Michael, let's go. <laughs> See, I don't think they remember how to do this. You remember how to do this? Wrapped Up, Tied Up. Wrapped up, tied up, tangled up in Jesus. Wrapped up, tied up, tangled up in Jesus. Wrapped up, tied up, tangled up in Jesus. Wrapped up, tied up, tangled up. Wrapped up, tied up, tangled up. Wrapped up, tied up, tangled up in God. I'm inside, outside. Side to side in Jesus, I'm inside, outside, side to side in Jesus, I'm inside, outside, side to side in Jesus, I'm inside, outside, side to side, inside, outside, side to side, inside, outside, side to side in God. I'm upright, downright, living right in Jesus, I'm upright, downright, 
living right in Jesus. I'm upright, downright, living right in Jesus. I'm upright, downright, living right, upright, downright, living right, upright, downright, living right in God. I'm wrapped up, tied up, tangled up in Jesus. I'm inside, outside, side to side in Jesus. I'm upright, downright, living right in Jesus. I'm wrapped up, tied up, tangled up, inside, outside, side to side, upright, downright, living right in God. I'm wrapped up, tied up, tangled up in Jesus. I'm inside, outside, side to side in Jesus. I'm upright, downright, living right in Jesus. I'm wrapped up, tied up, tangled up, inside, outside, side to side, upright, downright, living right in God. So even though your voices have changed, it doesn't make that you can't do the motions. Hmm. <laughs> all right, you guys can go back. No, nope, not all of you. Wait, 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 wait. Just the older, just the, just, no, Michael, just the older ones. All right, I'll read you a story. Nobody likes stories, do they? You like stories. Ah, they can sit there. There's not enough of them to get in trouble. You're going to sit still, right? What? You want to ask mom one thing? You can't wait? It can. I thought so. All right. Who would be when, well, we got one more story left of... Adoniram Judson. Okay. The war between Burma and England was over. Adoniram and Ann Judson were weak from the hard times during the past two years. Exhausted, they were on their way down the Irrawaddy River back to Ragoon. I wonder if the little church of 18 Christians survived the war, Adoniram said. Partway down the river, the Burmese rowers pulled ashore. They had arrived at the British Army camp. The army was getting ready to leave Burma. Sir Archibald Campbell met the two American missionaries as they stepped off the rowboat. Welcome, the general cried. I have a special dinner for the Burmese officials who signed the peace treaty. We read this. Yeah, we did. Never mind. Sir Edda said I had one more left. We read that one. And on we go. Do you remember the story? What happened? Uh Uh-oh. Remember, there was, they were the honored guests of the general, and there was one man that had treated Anne very, very badly, and he thought for sure they were going to give him nothing but trouble because of it, and he was a Burmese official. But Anne just looked at him and said she forgave him for all that he had troubled her. And I believe that young man, I believe that man became a Christian. All right. So you get to learn about somebody else. We're going to read a little bit more than normal here. Anybody know who David Livingstone is? You do. Heard that name before, huh? Here's a picture of the guy. Looks pretty normal, don't he? You don't think he looks normal? He looks normal to me. He's got a nose, two ears, a mouth, just like you. 
All right. He was a missionary to Africa. Africa. That's a far away, ain't it? Okay. <clears throat> we got a young man in their youth group that's going to Africa to be a missionary down there. Mm-hmm. He's going to South Africa. Brandon, can you pull up a map of the world again? <clears throat> we'll, we'll read this story, then we'll look at it. David Livingstone was born in March 1918-13 on an island off the coast of Scotland. He grew up in a Christian home where his father was a tea merchant. After studying mass medicine at Glasgow University in 1840, Livingstone went to South Africa with the London Missionary Society. What he saw there troubled him. The mission station seemed more interested in creating comfortable British outposts than in reaching the people of Africa. Some of the missionaries were even racist. They thought that the Africans were best suited for being servants or field hands. But Livingstone believed that the African Christians, once trained, made better missionaries to their own people than the English did. Livingstone quickly mastered several African languages and learned the ways of the people. Shortly after, after he married Mary Moffat in 1844, the Livingstones set out to build a new mission station on the frontier. From there, he planned to travel deep into Africa where the people had never heard the gospel before. But before long, he realized that he wasn't a preacher or an evangelist. God wanted him to explore the country and open up new areas so other missionaries could follow. This he did in three trips. Livingstone died on April 30, 1873. In Chuma and Susi, two of his faithful African friends carefully wrapped and embalmed his body and carried it to the coast. Chuma then went with the body to England, where Livingstone was buried with great honor. Chuma went with the queen and told others in England about the travels and expeditions of David Livingstone. All right. So, here is Africa. You see Africa? So, over here, see this pink over here? That's the United States. That's where we live, about dead center of the A there. That's about where we are. Okay, so down here is Africa. This is South Africa, right here. That's where David Livingstone, that's the next story happened in South Africa. Okay? Got an idea now about the world? Pretty big place. I should put a globe in here. Remind me the boys to order a globe on Amazon. That way, we can, every time we have a missionary story we read, we can look at where it's at on the globe. You don't know what a globe is? Oh, my goodness. I need to... A glow, no, it's not like a glow stick at all. Um, a globe is... What shape is the world? Like just a circle? You ever seen a ball? You ever seen a ball? What is it? It's... It's like a... It's a planet, right? We're round. It's a circle, but it's round. It's a round like a ball. Okay? So it spins. Okay? So the whole world is around it. So we look at a flat map, but I'll show you guys a globe. I'm going to get a globe. So I like to, I loved, as your age, I used to love to look at a globe, and I'd like look at it, and I'd like see where in the world I wanted to go. Because I love to go places in the world. So I would look, I'd spin it trying to figure out how I was going to get there. 
and you turn it, right? Okay. I'll get a globe so that way we can look at missionary trips. Yes, that's where I had one too. Good. So now you know what a globe is, right? And it spins. Does it turn? Mm-hmm. Oh, on the iPad, of course. It's an app. The new age globe. All right. So David Livingstone is down in South Africa. Attacked by a lion. Attacked by a lion. Okay. We all like lions, right? They might. Okay, let's see if they eat David. When David Livingstone first arrived in South Africa, most missionaries worked along the coast. There are too many missionaries here, he said. I want to go where people have never heard the good news before. The people in charge of the mission thought young Livingstone had too many big ideas. One of these ideas was to train African Christians to be missionaries. When white men preached, Livingstone argued, Africans just think we're talking about our odd European ways and customs. But when their own people tell them about Jesus, they, are the, they see the truth. But the mission board didn't want to support African teachers, so David Livingstone raised some money himself. When he finally got permission to begin a mission at Mabosta, 200 miles into the interior of Africa, he took along an African teacher named Mibalwi. I'm terrible with names. Mibalwi? For three months, Livingstone and his friends worked to build the new mission station. But one day he heard that lions were eating cattle in a nearby village. Ordinary lions don't attack during the day, the villagers said. These must be devil lions. They, are afraid to, they were afraid to fight them. Don't be afraid, said Livingstone, interrupting the work on the new station. Mibalwe, come with me. If we shoot one, that'll scare the others off. Sure enough, soon after they arrived, a lion boldly broke into, the, one of the open, broke into one of the cattle pens. Livingstone raised his gun and fired both barrels. The lion jerked back and roared. Quickly, Livingstone reloaded. Mabawi yelling a warning, Living, yelled a warning. Livingstone looked up just as a lion sprang at him. It caught Livingstone's shoulder and its huge jaws crushing the bone. Both anim, man and animal rolled in the dust. When the lion came to its feet, it shook Livingstone like a rag doll. Livingstone thought, I wonder what part of me he will eat first. What do you think is the most tender morsel? Hmm. I don't know either. Mabawi raised his gun, but it misfired. The lion immediately dropped Livingstone and attacked the African teacher, burying his teeth in Mabali's leg. When another man tried to spear the lion, it turned and charged him, and then suddenly fell dead as Livingstone's two bullets finally did their job. Sure enough, the other lions ran off and didn't come back, but Livingstone and Mabali were badly injured. It was a hard time for the brand new mission, but Livingstone wrote to his father in Scotland, praising and thanking God for saving him from great danger. Even though David Livingstone couldn't work on the building project because of his injuries, he was able to watch over the work until it was finished, but he needed more rest. He left Mibali at the new mission and traveled back to headquarters where a young woman named Mary Moffat nursed him back to health. She was the daughter of Roger Moffat, a mission director and well-known Bible translator. She admired this rugged young missionary who was not afraid to go where no white person had gone before, and he was impressed by her gentle, steady character. Livingstone asked her to marry him, and Mary said yes. Not only that, but she was willing to go with him to the Mabosta mission. David Livingstone realized he had a lot to be thankful for, even after being attacked by a lion. You know, we were talking um, Friday night at our youth, uh, in our youth meeting, and we were talking about how 
in the lowest of times is usually when God shows himself the most faithful. You don't think so? I mean, should we ask them? Do you think in the lowest of times God can show himself the most faithful? Or when do you see that God shows himself the most faithful? It's usually in the hardest of times. Do you think being attacked by a lion is a good thing? Most young men would not think that's a great thing to be attacked by a lion, but he got a wife out of it. Because his nurse was his, became his wife. Yeah. So be careful who you nurse. Never know. So you think about it. So sometimes in the lowest of times, that's when God is doing his greatest work. I think David Livingstone would testify to that. We know that in everything, God works for the good of those who love him. They are the people he called because that was his plan. Romans 8.28. All right, you can go back and sit down. Good morning. Okay, I assume that's a series of stories about David Livingston. I'm looking forward to that. I've had a chance to study his life a fair amount, and there's a lot in there in his life that's uh, very challenging and very interesting. So pay attention to these stories, kids. So, and I think uh, for your kids singing next week, I'm going to... Uh, nominate Pat and Noah to come up and help you sing. They were back there trying to get their emotions down. <laughs> I think they about have them. So. <laughs> oh. oh, there you go. <laughs> See, we got a whole list. <laughs> all right, well, welcome. It's good to have you all here this morning. Um, once again, a special welcome to our visitors. Uh, how about a nice uh, round of applause for our visitors? Good to have you here today, and for those watching online, we're glad you're able to uh, join us in that way as well. And uh, for a few announcements, um, we do, uh, after almost every service we have here, we share a lunch together, and you all are welcome and encouraged to stay here and enjoy that with us. We'll have plenty of food. We uh, find that time to be great time of fellowship following our uh, service here, so please enjoy that with us um, after our service. I did not look closely at our schedule. Is there anything on the schedule this Wednesday evening, Phil? Nothing on the schedule this Wednesday. All right. And uh, as I've been mentioning several times now, we have a youth retreat planned on the 11th through the 15th of August. That is a Wednesday evening through a Sunday afternoon. That will be hosted here at the church. There will be young people coming in from all over the states and uh, hopefully uh, local ones too, if we can get the rest of these guys convinced to sign up. That would be Abe and who else? Yoder boys signed up this week. Good for you guys. Thanks for being an example. Um, 
So uh, feel free to spread the word on that, ages 16 and up, for uh, single young adults. Uh, it be a great time of fellowship and teaching. Um, actually, hopefully later this afternoon we'll be getting our schedule for that uh, finalized, and we'll get that out for, for you all and for um, the local church, especially those that uh, have children here, please feel free to participate in that. There'll likely be some services, um, maybe an evening or two, and of course Sunday that are open for everybody to come and, and participate in that. But we'll get all that info out to you. Um, there's uh, The ladies are going to be in charge of all the food, so they may need uh, extra help on that if there's... Uh, Anybody that has isn't on board with that yet and wants to help, please contact Katie with that. Um, is there anything else that should be announced with that? Am I missing? So we're, we're looking forward to that. Please uh, spread. It is online, right? It's on our website. It should be right on the on the home page. So even if you are uh, local here, as a young person, please do register for that. Um, I think that concludes that part. That's most of the announcements that I have. Uh, John Olive is here, and I believe he's going to share the word with us. So come on up here, John, and we'll have a word of prayer, and I'll turn the time over to you. Father, I thank you for my brother John. I thank you for his willingness to come and share your word again, and I Pray, Father, that you would anoint his lips with your words, filling with your Holy Spirit. I pray that we would hear the words today that each one of us needs to hear. I pray that we would not be as uh, one who looks in a glass and forgets what he sees, but that we would look into your word and that it would uh, go deep into our lives and that it would bring forth the change that you desire pray a special blessing for my brother as he shares, that we give him grace and wisdom, and that our hearts would be open to receive the truths of your word. Thank you and praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, I just flipped it. There we go. Okay, good technology. (laughs) Well, I want to issue a a special welcome to our Amish friends that are with us today. Uh, Glad you're you're still here. It uh, can be unnerving to to go to a, a church where you're not used to how things are done. Uh, years ago, my my family and I, uh, our wife and my son, we we went to a uh, all kind of a pres- uh, Pentecostal Assembly of God type church in Cheyenne because a young man that we were ministering to was getting baptized. So we, you know, the baptism was at the end of the service, and uh, I, I I wasn't sure I was going to be able to make it through that. Um, 
uh, like I needed cement in my shoes or something because things got a little weird. Uh, people were getting slain in the spirit. Uh, there were like three or four people, you know, laying out on the front and people were running around the auditorium and whooping and hollering. And I, I think they may have been even barking. I'm not sure. And uh, it was just a little bit more than I could stomach, you know. Um, but we stayed there and we watched the baptism and it was a blessing. So I'm, I'm sure you probably have had a few moments like that today. And so thank you for, for uh, hanging in there. Um, try not to send you running out uh, with the sermon. So. <laughs> um, but I know that can be difficult. I, now, I would like to think that, that most of my sermons are, are uh, worthwhile and, and, and uh, have something to offer. Uh, this, one, this one is... Uh, I think one of the most significant sermons that I've put together, and it's not because it's going to be a lot of, of uh, knowledge about parables or anything like that in the Word. It is going to be uh, born from a life that has been filled with many, many failures and mistakes, and the uh, and the lessons that God has uh, taught me through those. And, um, and hopefully it will be a blessing to you. Um, so uh, I want to just kind of lay the, the framework with a passage in Leviticus. You can turn there if you want to. It's just going to be one verse, Leviticus uh, 19, 18. You probably... Many of you already know this. Um, you shall not take vengeance, nor bear any grudge against the children of your people, but you shall love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. So that is the, uh, the title of this message is Love Your Neighbor as Yourself. And we're going to be focusing on the as yourself part of that. I... Uh, so, I, do you love yourself? Um, I certainly didn't for a long time. Uh, I, as a young man, ages 13 to 19, was depressed and at times suicidal. Certainly did not love myself, and therefore I couldn't love other people because we can't love other people any more than we love ourselves. And so if that love isn't there for ourselves... We don't have any, anything to offer others. All I could really do was uh, use and manipulate people. That was uh, the extent of uh, my relationships, unfortunately. And, uh, and so th there's something that has to be revealed to us, uh, that we are worth being loved, and we certainly are, and we know that when we look at the cross, because that's... It's the ultimate sign that uh, we are uh, lovable, even though sometimes we don't feel that way. Now, I want to uh, take you to Matthew 6 and look at a verse out of the model prayer. Um, and it is uh, Matthew 6, 12. Jesus is, uh, is teaching here on... Uh, how to pray, 
after he was asked by his disciples. And in verse 12, he says, And forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Sometimes the versions will say, And forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who have trespassed against us. And there's something kind of startling about that. Uh, we, um, we probably have all gone through that process of asking God for forgiveness and uh, repented of our sins and have received forgiveness. But think about the audience here that Jesus is addressing. Is he addressing lost people in this passage? Who is he addressing? Somebody answer that for me. He's, he's addressing his disciples. These are individuals who have already gone through that process of surrender and repentance, and they are now dedicated to following Christ in their lives. And yet Jesus, when, when they ask him how to pray, one of the things he tells them is, and when you pray, pray this way, and include... Forgive us our debts as we forgive those who are our debtors. So there is a, a sense in which Jesus is telling his disciples, you're going to have an ongoing need to be asking for forgiveness for the things that you do. Uh, this is not, again, talking to lost people. This is talking to people that are disciples of Jesus. And so we get the idea that we're going to have to be asking for forgiveness uh, as Christians. That is going to be part and parcel of what we do. Now, maybe that's obvious to you, but I think sometimes as we mature as Christians, we think we might be able to outgrow that, and that is a mistake. <laughs> we are we're never going to... Um, uh, be reaching a plateau of sinless perfection. Think about this verse in, um, in James uh, chapter 3, verse 2, where he is cautioning people to uh, let not many of you become teachers, knowing that you will re receive a stricter judgment. And then he says in verse 2, he says, For we all stumble in many things. Now, again, James is not addressing lost people. He's addressing believers, disciples in Christ. He's addressing uh, those who are following Jesus. And he's not talking about past tense. He's not saying, oh, and we used to stumble in many things. No, he's saying we all stumble in many things, present tense. So making mistakes and having failures, something that we cannot escape as human beings. We live in a fallen world, and we are uh, subject to the frailties of human nature. We are subject to mistakes, and we are going to make those. Sometimes we have this idea that um, as we mature, we should quit making mistakes, and we are terribly disappointed with ourselves when we do. But let me ask you a question. Do do our mistakes surprise God? <laughs> no, no. God, God is not surprised. 
uh, does he think, gee, if I'd have known what John was going to do yesterday, I would have thought twice about saving him. No, thank goodness, <laughs> because otherwise I wouldn't have any hope. God knows the end from the beginning. He knows all of our sin, pre-salvation, post-salvation. He knows it all before we even exist in this world, because we already exist with him. And he knows all of those things. So we can't surprise God. We can only surprise ourselves. And uh, what we can do is, um, is pretty amazing. Uh, the, um, I'm going to share a little story about myself. Uh, that happened a few days ago. Um, I, got a, I got a new vehicle. It's not brand new. It's new to me. Uh, a 2014 Dodge Durango. And uh, it had spilled out some, some fluid that looked like it came out of the, the radiator. And so uh, I was looking around, and, it, and I hadn't ever raised the hood. And, and in, in the cars I've had before, there's always this yellow top on the place where you pour in the windshield wiper fluid, right? So I pop the hood, and I look in this tank that's got this yellow top on it, and it's almost empty. And I'm like, my goodness, it needs windshield wiper fluid. Well, I poured about probably a quart or quart and a half of windshield wiper fluid, and then I looked over to the right, and there was another thing with this yellow top on it, and it had the little thing for the washer, you know? It's like, well, if that's the washer over there, what did I just pour all this windshield washing fluid in? Well, it was the radiator. I poured a quart and a half of fluid from the washing stuff in the radiator tank. And I'm like going, oh, my. Uh, I had no idea what that's going to be. Well, I think now let's see. Not supposed to freeze, you know, because it sprays on your windshield even in the winter. So maybe, maybe it's also got some coolant properties, I hope. And um, so uh, let me just tell you how that turned out so you'll know what to do if this ever happens to you. Um, it, uh, it held up okay for a couple days. And then something happened, and it started breaking down, and it started boiling. And it boiled out, and my temperature went up a lot. And uh, so after it all boiled out, then I was able to refill it with uh, the right stuff, water and antifreeze, you know, and things are okay now. Uh, but if you ever accidentally pour a whole bunch of uh, windshield washer fluid in your radiator, probably ought to just drain it right then and refill it. Don't take a chance on it like I did. Now, that wasn't, just, that wasn't just stupid. That was like serious stupid, okay? I mean, it's like that it's not just Texas barbecue. It's serious Texas barbecue, that kind of deal. That, it was serious stupid. And, uh, and, I, and I share that because, um, you know, those are the kind of things that you think, I should, I should be outgrowing this, you know? I mean... Uh, I ought to be aware enough. But 
we still make mistakes, even as mature Christians. Hopefully, not many that are that, are that ditzy. I don't know what else to call it. Now, I'm not talking today to people who um, are embracing uh, perverted grace. I don't think there's anybody in here who thinks that their behavior as a Christian doesn't matter. It absolutely does. And anybody who knows God uh, in a real way is going to have a bias for obedience and an intense desire to please God. And so uh, I'm, I'm not addressing people like that. If, that. if that is where you're at, then that's a heart issue that you really need to get with the Lord on and, and deal with it. I'm really uh, talking to people who, um, who want to please God and who become distraught when they lose their temper, they act selfishly or irresponsibly or impulsively. Um, a person, we can, we can want to please God, and it can be extremely traumatic when we, uh, when we, we fail him. And, uh, and it can cause intense uh, guilt, depression, all sorts of things that, um, that we feel like um, God might have a hard time forgiving because we're supposed to be mature. Well, you need to get over that real quick. That's just the bottom line. You and I are going to make plenty of mistakes. Uh, Even as mature Christians, we're going to make plenty of mistakes. And that is actually a good thing. Uh, Remember, we all stumble in many ways. Mistakes are extremely useful to you as a Christian. Think about this. Number one, they allow us to remain humble and teachable. Okay? Uh, when I make a mistake, the, I want to acknowledge it because, because it is an opportunity for me to practice receiving humility and staying humble. The, the, the most destructive thing that we can have in our lives as Christians is pride. And to, to have pride rear up, all we have to do is hide our mistakes from other people. That is a, the beginning of hypocrisy, it, putting on a mask and saying, that's not me, I'm Mr. Perfect, I don't make mistakes. Uh, and preacher after preacher after preacher after preacher has fallen because of that very issue. They need, they need to pour windshield wiper fluid in their radiator. That's what needs to happen to them. They need some humility. So, mistakes... Keep us humble and teachable. Secondly, they help us to be compassionate with the failure of others. Okay? Because if if we are going to minister to people who, like this couple you talked about, um, that's that's a disaster, right? And we can develop, it's like, what's up with those people? Those people. Whenever you hear yourself thinking, those people, pay attention, that's a red flag. Those people, they should just get it. They ought to wake up, smell the roses, drink the coffee or whatever. Uh, and if we, are, if we are deceiving ourselves about our own failures and mistakes, 
then we're going to have a hard time developing compassion to embrace people like that because they need someone they can relate to. Uh, Without mistakes, we really have no ministry to offer to people (laughs) because it's really the mistakes that we have overcome and the failures that we've overcome that equip us to be able to minister to people. So don't, you know, I'm not telling you to go out and seek a mistake or, or make a mistake on purpose, but understand that they are going to happen and they are extremely useful, and I believe, as Christians, they are God-ordained. We don't make mistakes by accident. We make mistakes that God allows us to make because he needs to teach us something or he is equipping us to minister to someone else that is going to make that same mistake that we're going to run into. So um, be kind to yourself when you make a mistake. And be kind to others when they make mistakes. Now, uh, when you make a mistake, how long do you typically beat yourself up for it? Uh, somebody give me an answer. I mean, if you if you're willing to do that, how long do you grovel and 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 uh, and and moan and, and complain about about your unworthiness? At least a day, okay? Uh, that's that's a, uh, a pretty common answer, I would think. Uh, some might really go overboard and, and do it for a whole week. Uh, some who are working a little more diligently on understanding grace, maybe an hour, you know, I don't know. But um, most of us wind up beating ourselves up for some period of time after we're aware we've blown it. Now, uh, but let's think about, let's think about 1 John 1, 9, all right? So it says, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Now, considering that verse, how long is the gap that God is going to withhold forgiveness once we confess. There's no time. There's no time. There's no time between confession and forgiveness. God is just simply waiting for us to confess that and acknowledge, yeah, God, I blew it. All right. So if... When he confesses, when we confess, he forgives instantly. There is, there's no room for guilt after that from about our sin. Any guilt that we're feeling after we have confessed and received forgiveness is from the devil. All right? And... This is where we get ourselves into all kinds of problems. Uh, We've got to develop a short memory about our failures. We want to think, okay, mistakes are going to happen. I don't want them to happen, but they will, and God uses them to teach me things. So when I make a mistake, 
I acknowledge it for what it is, it's sin, and I forsake and confess it. Then, if I believe God, I should receive his forgiveness immediately and move on in grace. Cultivating a guilty complex may seem like we are being respectful to God. We are, God, I have sinned against you, and it's not proper, and I'm going to wallow in some guilt here to demonstrate how sincere I am and how awful I've been. And I'm deeply sorry, and I'm going to feel guilty for at least another 30 minutes about this, just to please you. Is God, is God honored by that? No, you know what that actually is? That is a form of self-righteousness. It is a form of self-righteousness, and it's born from pride. That's where that comes from. And if we could ever see that guilt is, at the root, pride in action, I think that would help us actually begin to get rid of that guilt and move forward and say, you know what? God knew that was coming. He saw that coming from eternity. And uh, now I'm aware of it, but God already knew about it, and he already knew what he was going to do. He was going to forgive me when I asked him. And so I just need to let that go and realize that, you know, I'm going to learn from that. But I'm not going to allow Satan to use my mistake to then start pride arising up into guilt. And so this is, this is one of the ways that, um, that Satan begins to use our mistakes against us from our own guilt. If we could guilt our way into heaven, we wouldn't need the cross. Okay? Guilt and, and grace are just... Mutually exclusive. They don't relate to each other. Guilt may feel spiritual, but guilt is not spiritual maturity. It is a hindrance to spiritual growth. Um, now, Ed, how do I know all this? Because I have made all of these mistakes. <laughs> I have lived right where I'm talking. It, it, there, if you get half, uh, out of this message of what I've already learned, uh, then God bless you. But this is, this is extremely personal for me. This is not a lecture about how, you know, you should live your life. This is a, a sermon about all the mistakes and failures that I've worked through and uh, things that I believe the Lord uh, has shown me Sometimes, actually, other Christians struggle with some of these things, <laughs> uh, like probably all of us. Now, uh, I want to briefly mention another related topic, which is perfectionism. Okay, uh, perfectionism is something that I've struggled with a long time uh, in, my, in my youth and early adulthood, and uh, I, don't, I don't typically have many issues with it now, but it crippled me in my, uh, in, in my early days of my career. Um, perfectionism stems from a lot of different sources. For me, 
it was uh, an, an adaptation to uh, somewhat abusive uh, discipline that I received as a child, and it was my coping mechanism to try to stay out of trouble, do everything right, and you won't get punished. And um, so, but it, it, has, it has very destructive consequences as we move on into adulthood. It is, a, it is an emotionally crippling affliction that causes us to miss out on many of the blessings of life. Our fear of failure stops us from trying new experiences, learning new skills, getting an education, changing careers. Uh, perfectionism is born a pride and needs to be treated like any other spiritual defect. We need to repent and learn to embrace failure as the price of success. If you aren't, uh, let, me, let me give you a book. If you struggle with perfectionism, uh, a book that helped me tremendously is uh, Failing Forward by uh, Dr. John Maxwell. Uh, tremendous uh, book on how to uh, properly assess failures and how to move forward through them and actually embrace them as literally the price of success. Um, if you aren't making enough mistakes, you aren't stretching yourself. Growth is our goal. And failure and growth are two sides of the same coin. You can't have growth without a healthy appreciation for failure. Ask any parent who's had a baby learn to walk. That principle never changes. A, a baby that quit trying to, uh, due to, because it got sick of failure when it was learning how to walk would never walk. It doesn't see failure that way. It sees it as like, oh, well, I'm, I'm, I'm making progress. I'm, I'm going forward. Uh, I'm, I'm, I see my parents walking. I want to walk. And it just keeps going until it achieves it. That's a healthy attitude towards failure. It's like you learn any new skill, uh, a new language, anything, you're going to fail over and over and over. And if you don't like failure, you're going to say, ah, not going to try that. And you'll miss out on the blessing of learning that new skill, hobby, whatever. Um, so you've got to change how you think about failure in order to be able to move, move forward. Um, if you don't want to risk making mistakes, you're going to be of very little use to God or to people. People make mistakes. And only those who have a healthy attitude toward making mistakes in their own, and, and how they overcome the ones in their own life are able to help others overcome their mistakes. Ministry is, by and large, helping people overcome the same mistakes and character flaws that God has enabled you to overcome. That equips you for ministry, overcoming mistakes. The more practice you have at overcoming mistakes, the better teacher you can be. So, um, 
Be kind to yourself. Forgive yourself and continue to forgive yourself. God has and does. As we practice kindness and forgiveness toward ourselves, we are building empathy to do the same for others. We are learning to love ourselves so we can love our neighbor as ourselves. They're directly related, and we can't separate them. Now, I just have a, a, few, a few verses uh, that I want to um, just read quickly, uh, just parts of verses that I wanted to, want us to think about. 2 Corinthians 5.17, we are new creations. 1 Corinthians 1, verses 1 and 2, we are called saints. Psalm 50, verse 5, saints are those who are in covenant with God. 1 Corinthians 2.16, we have the mind of Christ. 1 Corinthians 3, 21 through 23, all things are yours. 1 Corinthians 6, verses 1 through 3, we will judge angels. 1 Corinthians 6.11, we are washed, sanctified, justified. 1 Corinthians 6.19, we are the temple of the living God. 1 Corinthians 12, we are the body of Christ. Ephesians 1, we are accepted in the beloved. If you've ever struggled with rejection, uh, you are accepted and acceptable in Christ. Romans 8:28 We are more than conquerors. 1 John 4:17 As Christ is so are we in this world. John 8:12 He says I am the light of the world. Matthew 5:14 He says you are the light of the world because you have the light of the world in you. Isaiah 42:6 I have given you as a light to the Gentiles about the Messiah. Luke 2.32, Jesus is a light to the Gentiles. In Acts 13.47, Paul says, the Lord has commanded us to be a light to the Gentiles. We have the same ministry in this world as Jesus does. We are the embodiment of Christ in this world. He has given us his ministry. John 17.20-26, Jesus prays for us continually. He intercedes for us at the Father's right hand. Romans 12, verses 1 and 2. All that our minds would be renewed, right? That we would learn to think about ourselves as God thinks about us. Worthy of his agony on the cross. Lovable because we are his creations. He sees, he sees not our failures, he sees our possibilities. And let's look for that in ourselves and let's look for that in those around us and be a blessing to this world. Well, John, thanks for hitting me over the head with your Bible. I was glad you stopped. It was getting a little bit painful. 
thank you for faithfully sharing the Word of God and and uh, yeah, please, please tell me I'm not the only one that was getting hit over the head. <laughs> Maybe I am. Okay, <laughs> but no. In, in all seriousness, though, it's that is uh, something that really really spoke to me, and it's probably one of the the biggest issues in my in my life that I see need for growth in. And, uh, thank you for sharing that and, and sharing that in an encouraging way and, and not condemning. It was, it was a blessing to, to hear from the Word of God. So, Any other testimonies, anything to share? What has God shared with you this morning or through the week? Here's your chance yet. To show you that it's true that that's uh, an area of my life that continues to need work. When when uh, <laughs> when John started and he said uh, talking about folk, he said we're going to focus on the second part of that verse and you know, loving your neighbor as yourself. My wife looks at me and is like, "This is going to be good," <laughs> something like that. So, um, so yeah, that was that was a blessing to hear that. Anyone else? I'm going to give it a minute or two here yet because Carrie and Phil both look like they're intently coming up with something. I think that brings us to the close of this portion of the service. I can see some hamburgers and hot dogs cooking out there, so I assume that'll be ready shortly. So please do hang around for that and continue to uh, enjoy the fellowship. So let's all stand and have a closing prayer and ask a blessing on the, on the meal. And Bill, if you'd like to lead us in that. Yes, Father, thank you for your word of grace and truth into our lives. You do not only give us the truth, but you give to us grace and truth. And you tell us in John 1, you are full of that grace and truth. So I pray, fill each one of our hearts, our minds, Lord, with that grace and truth as we read your word, as we share the word with each other. And Lord, as we walk with you today and share 
your word, Lord, with others whose lives are devastated through sin and, Lord, who are still enslaved to sin. I pray, fill us with that grace like you tell us. And all of us have received grace for grace. So I pray, give us that grace and truth that you're so full of. Thank you for this meal that you have uh, so graciously shared with us. Lord, I think of the dear people in Haiti who are going through this time where many are starving. And I remember being down there, Lord, in the mountains and many just served a little bowl of rice is what we had for lunch. And, and they gave me a few pieces of goat meat on my rice. And I looked around and no one else had goat meat. I wondered why. He said, they just gave it to you as their guest. They don't have enough. That's all they have. Lord, I just pray for the many of our dear brothers and sisters who are there. Well, that's the meal they're going to share today. As we live in America here and have this abundance of food, and we would, Lord Jesus, fellowship together in the sufferings of our brothers and sisters and enjoy the food, but Lord, seek to fellowship and build each other up even as if we just had a little bowl of rice without any meat. Father, we pray that you would pour out your Holy Spirit upon them and that you would also do it upon us, knowing we need it just as much as they do. And we thank you. You're a faithful Heavenly Father who looks upon all your children all over the world without respect of persons. And you, Lord, are looking for those who are worship you in spirit and in truth and draw near to you, and you come and draw near to us. And you supply all of our needs richly.